Good evening. Our fellow... <laughs> ah! I didn't even get the first two words out <laughs> of this. that? <laughs> well, it's because I had messed up on the on the screen for the intro, and so I was changing it at the same time I was thinking. And of course, yeah, I'm a professional. I can do that. And yeah, of course, I didn't. Well, anyway, good evening. And thank you, my fellow lovers of love, for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness towards the river of tranquility. The river of tranquility and on towards the lake of love. And my lips and tongue are not working tonight. This is this gonna is be... gonna be interesting. <laughs> this is gonna be interesting. All right, so we're gonna bring Lovey in. So we're talking about defining success tonight, and we've got a little bit about depression because I think a lot of times when we're dealing with depression, it's you know redefining success is actually important. In, in your in your process of getting through it, of coping, but more importantly, you know, a lot of times in life we allow other people to define success, and it's small wonder if you think about how most of us are raised. You go through from kindergarten on to the on to school, on through school, you're judged by your peers. We're literally taught that since from five years old on. To judge yourself by your peers. You get an A, your buddy gets a B, ha, I'm better. But is it true? Of course it's not true. You know, better is a more subjective term, you know. If someone got straight A's all the way through high school, college, and everything, and it turns out to be an axe murderer, but the guy who got F's and D's ends up being a pastor and helps people through life, which one's the better human being? Which one, ha which one is actually the successful person? You know, having a lot of money, having material success, business success, political success, that's one way to judge it. But raising a good family, helping the members of your community, you know, just simply not hurting anybody else. And if you're dealing with, you know, mental illness, sometimes, Getting up and taking a shower is a success. Because you can't judge by where you want to be. You have to judge yourself by where you are and whether you're moving forward or not. And you get to decide what that is. No one gets to decide it for you. Other people can help you make that decision. They can give you input and they can give you perspective. But ultimately, you have to choose. What is success? What is not? And that's hard. Because the hardest person in the world to be accountable to is yourself. No one will ever judge you harder than you. Nobody can. You are always your own worst enemy. Your own harshest judge. You know, because you've got this vision of yourself, what you want to be, and it's... I don't want to say it's unrealistic often. It's just... Lofty. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with being ambitious, but you want to add a dose of reality to it that, hey, I'm being ambitious with these things, so when I fail, and I will fail because I'm human, and even the most successful people have routinely said I have failed more often than I have succeeded. The difference between people who fail and get lost there and get stuck there and the people who fail and succeed is the willingness to get up and try again. And so if you're willing to get up and try again, you are a success. That's how you define success. That's what you should judge yourself by. Am I willing to get up? And if you know what? If you can't stand up, can you crawl? If you can't crawl, can you roll over? You know, sometimes you can't crawl. Well, then can you roll over? You know, if that's all you can actually do, and you do it, then you're a success. You know, we all too often judge ourselves by other people's goals. One of my biggest complaints about society is we've allowed society to be... Uh, we've allowed type A personalities to define success. 
Oh, well, that's stupid. Because <laughs> they're, you know, they want different things than the rest of us. So why are we defining success for them? You know, if what you want is a white picket fence, you know, a stable job, and, you know, and not much to worry about, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to want the world. There's nothing wrong with not wanting the world. You know, when you want is time with your family. You want some time for personal growth. You want to feel like you've made a difference in somebody's lives. I think that's what's important. So, anyway. So we start right off the bat, you know, defining success, celebrate our successes. So what are the things, you know, your partner does right? I think was the first question right up off the bat. Well, as I discussed with you, I mentioned to you the other day, and yes, out of the blue, um, in past relationships, I've lived in fear that they were going to leave me. And in this relationship, I do not. So I, I it's just not a worry. You're, you're all in. You're, you show me that every day. And that is a major ease of mind. That affects my mental health. Well, see, mine's easy as well. But you listen. You may not always understand. And Lord knows, I don't expect it. <laughs> but I feel heard. And, you know, and that's the important part, I think, of anybody. I feel like a huge success right now. <laughs> well, see, I'm all tearing up. This is go. <laughs> well, see, that's the, you know, I think a lot of people. You don't need to be. That's honest. a major relationship goal for me. Yeah, you, you just want to be heard. You know, you know all. You, especially me. I've had anxiety disorder, and so Lord knows my interpretations of the world. I know they don't always make sense, but I don't understand <laughs> you one hoot sometimes. But I listen to your experience. I try to understand. Yeah, and I understand it doesn't make logical sense, but it's my reality is my reality. And I believe you, you and know, I trust yeah. you. And, and I try to see that framework. And so that's... You're, you're very good at painting a picture, too, so... Well, I've been that, practicing. That helps. <laughs> I've been practicing for a long time now. You know, over a decade of therapy, you get good at it. There is <laughs> there, there is some benefit to practice. <laughs> but the reality is, I was willing to practice. Right? There is... You know, the success is the willing to... You know, to fail and to try again and to fail and to try again and to fail and to try again. And eventually you get half decent at it. You know, you stop failing so often. Every now and again, hey, that wasn't a failure. <laughs> success. What, not a failure, it's a success? Yes. <laughs> it could have gone better, but I didn't fail at it. So it's a success. And you eventually start to build, you know, it's the reason they have, you know, minor leagues. It's the reason we have childhood. It's just the, you know, the chance to practice without ruining your career or ruining your life or ruining your, you know, the ability to practice, the ability to have the freedom to work through your thoughts and work through your emotions and have the other person understand that, you know, I'm just working through them. These aren't the real ones yet. I'm working through them. <laughs> you know, it's a process. You know, these are the ones I'm currently experiencing. I'm not going to stay there. I'm working through them. <laughs> and I understand that, too. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the things we give to each other, which is why you feel comfortable. You feel heard. You, you know that I'm, you're not going to say something or experience something that's going to say, yeah, you know what, I'm out. Uh, you know, you can be yourself. Yes. I know that no matter what happens, we're going to work through it together. Yeah. Because Lord knows we've been through enough. Yes. You know, we both go to the hospital for different reasons, but <laughs> different <laughs> hospitals. But, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> it's the same thing, ultimately. 
it's just, you know, things happen, you have to go get taken care of. Yeah. So. Come back, recover. Yeah. So. I want to be there for you. You're always there for me. So if there is. Sometimes you don't know what to do when you ask me. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know what to do. What do you need? <laughs> do you need to be alone? Do you need some company? You want to smoke a drug? What do What is it? Over here, do I need to go get you some food? I don't know. Yeah, well, if I don't know, then I always figure it's time to ask. Why not? You know, it's... You know, there's not a better, when you don't know what to say, there's not a better thing to say than, I don't know what to say, what can you, what, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. You know, that there is expressing the fact that you want to say something, you want to do something, but yeah. you've got no freaking no clue. Clue, I don't have an idea, one iota. You're actually sending the best message you can in that situation. Yeah. Because you're expressing your care, and you're expressing your desireness to help. You just, you, and you're being... In a sense, open that I don't know. Help me help you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, life isn't always pretty, but you can make it beautiful. What I hear is I want to help you. Yeah. I want to help you, and I'm not so arrogant enough to, to assume what I can do. Yeah. You know, it's... Well, I, I love that about you. you. You don't try and fix me. You, you respect me enough to understand that I have my own processes. Thank you very much. Yes, my job isn't to fix you. My job is to help you fix yourself. Theoretically. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, you know, if you want to put it back crassly, that's a crass explanation of it. So I don't, you know, I don't particularly like it. But if you want to put it in a small package, it's, it's kind of crass. Yes, I'm, I it's not even technically my job to help you. It, it's it's my desire to help you, to help you accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish with yourself. Yes, I consider myself support personnel to you. Yeah. So, you know, so what do we give, what kind of advice we give in relationship to advice? The best relationship we could give is to... You know, if you're all in, you're all in, and listen to the other person. Be actually prepared to hear and understand that when they're working through an emotions, working through their feelings, that's exactly what they're doing. They're working through them. Those aren't, you know, the ones they're going to settle on. They're working through them. You know, that's part of the process. And what they need you to do is to be their, you know, the rocks in the storm, the lighthouse, the thing that helps them guide, you know, that they can turn to as a stability point, some point that's stable, something they know that's not going to move. That's the greatest gift you can give to people in a relationship. So, what do we got next? Okay, so what's the hardest part of being in a relationship when you both struggle with your mental health? I thought about this, and... Really, the only thing I can think of is, well, there's two things. I get frustrated when I don't understand you um, because that's important to me to try and understand you because if I understand you, then I can, then I can better support you. Um, but the but the first thing that leaped to my mind when I read this was when we both are having bad days <laughs> at the same time. Uh. Yeah, that is the hardest part. Yeah, but we've actually come with a good strategy. That was the hardest part to figure out the strategy for, I suppose. But once we've figured out the strategy to deal with it, it's actually it's not that big of a deal. All right, we know it just... Okay, we're, hey, we're on our own today. <laughs> <laughs> And that's okay because we know it's just that day. It's or temporary. That, yeah, we know it's just, you know, now is not the time. The best thing we can do for each other at this point in time is to be on our own because we're just, we're going to clash. We still get together and we still kind of do the routine, but there's a... It's a little quiet. Yeah, it's a little different. But that's, the hardest part is actually getting to that part. 
is getting to the part where you actually understand yourselves and you understand each other to the point where you can actually work through and figure out those strategies. The hardest part is figuring out those strategies because you try many different things and you fail before you figure out, okay, these are the strategies. These are the successful ways to deal with this. And it's, and it's hard. It's difficult because you have to, you know, think outside yourself and inside yourself at the same time. You have to think about your partner's needs and your needs equally and separately at the same time. <laughs> and it's hard. And how do you do that? And how do you figure out that, how do we ultimately figure out that, hey, you know what, on these days, the best thing for us to do is just kind of shut up and leave each other alone. Especially when we've just got done talking to them, the best thing about our thing is that we hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> You know, our instinct is to listen to each other, but we both know that there's days where that's not healthy for both of us. And so... No, it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's not going to end well. We tried that. Yeah. <laughs> so we know, you know, we'll get through. One person will get through their thing sooner, faster than the other person will get through their thing, and everything can start to return back to kind of its, it's normal. That's what happens. But... You know, there's, there's a leap of faith in that. And that's difficult to have that leap of faith when you have having a mental health issue during, during a crisis. But it is. It's that, the only time for us it's, it's hard is when there's that crisis. And at this stage, we both have our own ways of dealing with ourselves, so it's not actually a huge deal. We're not actually codependent on each other. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Which... That, is a danger. That's, that shows a healthy interdependence, not a... Yeah, we're not codependent. Not a codependent. Yes, we all we, we don't need the other person to, to do it. It's no. We want the other person. Yeah. Yeah, there's a difference. You know, we all have our own. We, you know, we're not subject. It's not the... You know, I have my ways of dealing with my thing. And you have your ways of dealing with your issues. And, you know, they're not dependent on each other. Yes. Yeah. Our mental health issues aren't dependent on each other. We don't, we do work very hard to not allow them to do that. You know, we don't want to, we don't want them to feed each other. And so, you know, the opposite is you don't want them. To well, why don't we just throw one more problem on <laughs> top of everything else? Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's very you know the codependency thing it's it's a very real issue. We should actually find someone to talk about it because it's one of those things that's not talked about enough. Because it, it well, yeah, we haven't covered that. No, we uh, haven't. We should. We'll have to put that down. We'll have to do that because it's okay. a, it's a big thing. So here's one you had the one word you should never uh, more. It's actually a phrase, not a word. But when you're arguing with your spouse. Yeah, she got to fight fair. Yeah. Well, it, it's like dropping the, the relationship nuclear bomb, and it's not fair. It, it, unless, especially in an argument, in the middle of, of an argument, you know, you, you don't talk about... And the phrase is, maybe we should get a divorce. Yeah. You don't drop the... D word when you're just having an argument. What the hell? Well, because now you've changed the argument. Yes, you have. Now you're talking about getting a divorce. Now you're not dealing with whatever the issue is you're dealing with or whatever the emotion is you're dealing with. It's your, You've completely changed the argument. And, you know, why would you do that unless you're losing the argument and you just... Yeah, it seems more like a power play to me. It's a game. Well, we know how. I want to call it a game. It, it's it's a human instinct. Is is in an argument. You've been hurt. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. Your emotions are up. You've been hurt, and so what do you do? You try to hurt back. You know, you've been punched. You punch back, and you know if you're losing, you you pull out a bigger weapon, whether you mean it or not. The problem is, you could. It's one of those things you can't take back were you really thinking that or was it just an emotional moment you set the seed you planted the seed 
And so, you know, that's something you never talk about unless you're actually talking about it. Because it, it, it's one of those self-fulfilling things. It's a very difficult road to get back off of. Not that it can't be. I'm just saying it's a difficult road to get back off of. And is that road ever really stable again? can be but again it's that leap of faith thing you have to take and it's much harder to take a leap of faith after you've done that after that bomb has been dropped you know because now it's a real worry now it's a real concern because now it, one minute we're arguing about the toilet seat being left up the next minute you're talking about divorce or, well what the hell is going on here you know, how did we get from there to there? Yeah, okay, other, there's other issues, but why aren't we talking about those issues? <laughs> what the hell? You know, yeah, it's you know now if your relationship is really really screwed up and you know divorce is a real pro is a real possibility, if things don't you know change, that's a different question though that you don't do that in the middle of a big argument you sit down with a therapist or a counselor or, or somebody and have that discussion so you don't lead to an argument and a fight and thing and go someplace you don't want it to go you know i think we talk about success tonight and success in, in relationships success in marriage you know how do we define that You know, is it never ending or is it being satisfied, happy, however you define happy in a marriage, in a relationship? You know, what then? How do you end that? Do we actually even, you know, sometimes relationships have to end, they run their course. But is it ending it with some uh, decorum, a success? Some dignity. Mm -hmm. No. Honoring what you had. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do it. And, but, you know, I don't know. It just seems to me that, you know, we don't, we don't work hard enough in honoring our relationships and the successes we have. We all, it's very easy to point to the feathers in a relationship. It's very easy. Oh, God. But do we actually honor the successes? Why would you want to do that? Why would you <laughs> want to be negative focused? It, oh, it's human nature. It's the sore thumb theory. No one thinks about the, you know, if you've got a sore finger, no one thinks about the other ones that work just fine and aren't, aren't hurting. You think about the one that's bothering you constantly. Because it's bothering you. You don't think about things that go well. You just don't. They're going well. You accept it. And you you almost take them for granted. Oh, I see what you're saying. But it's the irritated thumb, the irritated finger, every time you touch something with it, it irritates you. It irritates you. It irritates you. So that's what you end up focusing on. It's just like my bad eyesight. That's what I end up focusing on. You know, I've got to change that. It's not good for my mental health. You know? It is what it is. Yeah. It, it, hey, the, everything else can be true, but it can still be true. Me focusing on it's not good for my mental health, and so I've got to change everything else about it. It is just the way life is. I have to change my mental attitude towards it, which I'm working on. Anyway, and it's going to be, then someday there will be a success there that I will either, you know, which success comes first, my eyes get fixed or, <laughs> 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 or, or it'll about happen right about the same time with my luck, right as I start getting adjusted to, you know, accepting the realities of things, it'll, it'll move on. It's just, 
it's my nature in life. All right, what do we want to do? We've got, what, five minutes? Did you want to have time today? Yeah. All right, so we will. How about floor depression self-care tips when you literally cannot? All right, let's go for it. Okay. I can relate to this one, uh, to a lot of these, actually. Wipe yourself down with a hand and towel. Sometimes you don't, you can't even make it into the shower. Baby wipes. <coughs> Pits, deodorant, you feel all fresh. You did something. It's a success. Well, yeah, if, if you're in the deep bowels of the repressive episode and that's all you can do, then that's all you can do. That's a success. Hey, at least you don't stink, right? You know? It's <laughs> You're not offending people. You don't have to worry about that. One less thing to worry about. Yeah. And what is it your comedian calls that, though? What? Your comedian. We were just, you were just on the TV earlier, and you talked about washing it yourself like that. Call it what? Call it a horse bath. Horse bath. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not afraid of saying it. I'll say anything. We all know this by now. Uh, yeah? Okay, drink water. Drink water? Yes. Sometimes eating uh, eating can just be too much. Like this, the one who wrote this had an eating disorder. And they made the point, you can live a week without food, but only three days without water. Some, sometimes eating is... Well, what's it, Doc? Drink, drink lots of fluids and call me in the morning. Get rest, drink, drink plenty of fluids and call me in the morning. That's what doctors used to say, right? So there's probably some truth to it. Drink plenty of fluids and get some rest and call me in the morning. That's what doctors used to tell people. You know, hey, if nothing else, at least you're going to stay hydrated. And staying hydrated is better than not being hydrated. Yes. You know, at least you're, you know, you won't do uh, organ damage. You know, while you're getting through, working through your mental issues. And dehydrating actually makes it so your brain doesn't work as well as either. So there is that. If you allow yourself to become dehydrated and you tend towards mental health issues, there's a compounding effect. So, or can be a compounding effect. Let me correct. <laughs> not always will be one, but there can be a compounding effect to that. So... And if you're dealing with depression or any other mental health issues, staying something hydrated. And I'm looking at the man in the mirror in this particular case because it's, you know, I do that too. So <laughs> it's, it is what it is. This, this is a bad habit for me. Then, but, you know, we're all human. But I've successfully, I'm changed. I no longer drink the sodas. I sugar related. I drink, you know, sugar free pink lemonade now. So. There's always, if I can stop my Dr. Pepper habit, then there's always room for change. Who would have thought that was going to happen? That was uh, shocking. Yeah, so, yeah, I had been contemplating it. Okay, uh, number three, try to crack the blind. Yeah, try it, just try, just try, get uh, some kind of sunshine. Yeah, bring a little light into your life um, because it's it's actually more important than even I like to think. I'm someone who likes to be in a cave, right? In a sense, I'm in a cave in here, but I, it's very easy to screw even my rhythm up in, because there's no sense of time. There's no light, so you don't tell when it's light and dark in here because of the blackout kinds for the lighting. You know, for consistent lighting, I need to do the blackout curtains. Well, the problem is, if I'm working late, I don't know if it's getting light outside. Next thing I know, it's 11 in the morning, and I've stayed up all night working on accident. I did that just the other day. Now I'm all screwed up. Because it reset my my clock. Cause yeah. I, yeah, because no access to light really is. It, it, it helps... And I've got the studio lights, which are actually daylight studio lights. So my clock is all freaking blown to heck. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really bad, even for you. Yeah, so it. So there's more important to life. And getting some lights good for your vitamin D. 
Yeah. Right. So get some light. But it's good for your rhythms. Even for those of us who are night owls, in order to know it's night, you have to see light on occasion. <laughs> you know, it's I'm a night owl, but you still have to see light on a you know, to to set the thing. Hey, it's daytime now. I know it's going to be nighttime in a few hours, right? That's how it works. It, it's, you, you do need that. All right. And what's the fourth one was? Be gentle with yourself. Yes. Uh, um, sometimes when you're dealing with mental illness, sometimes the bad days are really bad, and that's okay. It can do more harm than good if you're trying to force yourself to do things you're not really, you're not truly ready to do. It's hard and it's a process, but try and be accepting of where you are. Yeah, pushing that line. Pushing that line when you're uh, knowing where that line is, how far to push yourself and how far to uh, to not is difficult. And it's uh, so. What do you do with that? You know, because you don't want to just sit there and be overly nice to yourself and just kind of wallow in your own self pity. You know, but at the same time, you don't want to push yourself too hard so it's a fine line to walk and it's okay to fail at it you know it's okay to start and stop and you know, success is a it's an individual thing it comes in context not out of context it's dependent on more factors than even you realize than any of us realize and we should be kind to ourselves and with that we are going to give Lubby a short break and we will be right back And we are back, and thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to find all of our previous shows and our show notes, you can find us at love. No, oh, wait, sorry, at latenightlove.us. I got myself all combobulated. What was so, that? I was I was doing the different. I was trying to do it a little differently today, and but my brain pulled up the old way, and so I mixed them the beginning together, and it came out completely botched. Oh. Like we said, my mouth and tongue is not working properly today, and this is going to have some interesting things that are going to splash out of my mouth. It's just going to happen. <laughs> so, if you want to find our show notes and links to the articles we talk about, you can go to latenightlove.us. I almost did it again, by the way. If you want to talk to send send a, a note to Lovey over there, get a dear love letter and ask us a question. You can send that to love at late night love us, which was yes, always been you. trying to say the whole time. I'd love to hear from you. You can find us at late night love on locals. You can find us on Rumble. You can find us on all your various podcast platforms. And on Facebook at The Late Night Love. And there's the re-entrance for you. And got all care of that marketing stuff that I forgot to do on the first half of the show. Because I was so discombobulated with my mouth not working today. That we're all kind of messed up over here. All right. So what do we want to do? Uh, oh, actually, this is a good one. Let's do the safe care, self-care safety plan and plans because you've got your own standard operating procedures, and which I don't have, and I probably should at least pencil one out theoretically anyway. Because um, you know, it hasn't happened in a while where I've had such a panic attack where I couldn't talk, but you know, it's always possible, I suppose. Yeah. And I should be. We should be prepared for it, especially if I can't get to the point where I can't see very well. That could be dangerous. Yeah, because we communicate through writing. 
Yeah. So, anyway. So my lack of having a plan, despite the fact that there's clear evidence I should have one, <laughs> and you have a binder. <laughs> yes, I have a binder with phone numbers, and uh, we haven't talked about it lately, but but my, my if I get in crisis, I go to bed and I pull the covers up over my head. If I need to reach out, if I need help, I just say help. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not having a good day. Uh, my you takes it from there. Yeah, well, you've got your book, and we, I know what to do. I, I know what my roles are. So, But you literally, when you need your book, you pull out your book. And it's... <laughs> And I think, you know, the very fact that you have one, I think, gives you some comfort. But you have to use it less because you have it. And so oh, I haven't, I haven't needed it in years. No, but the very fact that you still have it, you know, you have it if you need it. You know, you you can go through the steps at this point without opening the book. That's part of the reason why you don't have to open the book <laughs> is because you don't need to because they're ingrained in you. But the steps in the book are ingrained in you. But okay, now we're talking about, what, what are we talking, the self-care plan or the safety plan? Because they are two different things. Well, the self-care plan, and it's, I don't know if there's... Self-care plan is basically from what I got from the article and from what I do, is my basic self-care that I do. I haven't done my meditation in a while. I need to get back to it. Um, but yoga and uh, I need to get back to my walking, too. Well, the um, safety plan, I would assume is... the safety plan for me is that's when I'm in crisis. Yeah, that's your binder. Yeah. Yeah, that's the crisis plan. Yes, where I'm, that's when I'm having suicidal ideation. And that is exhausting. So, yeah. And that's been a very, very long time. Well, see, that's good to know. But it's also, we still have the plan, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, so we've got both. You've got both. I have neither. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, you know, I've always lived out of my back pocket, and this whole getting organized, self-organized thing is a real challenge for me. Well, it seems to run contrary to your nature. Well, it's run contrary to my needs. I haven't needed to do it. I've always kept my life simple enough where I could run it out of my back pocket. And it was a deliberate choice. And now, for various reasons, I can't. And, you know, there's some skill set involved there. And there's some practice involved there. And I'm having to relearn things at 50 that I should have learned at 25. Uh, you know, just at a habit. Something as simple as keeping your contact lists updated. Do you know? Because you're networking. Networking lists. And I never did any networking. And so now... You know, I'm involved in politics and podcasting and all this other stuff. And networking is important. And, and, then, and so now I'm having to learn the, you know, and I'm never going to be good at it, but there's, you know, because it's not in my nature, but there are structural things you can do. You know, you can learn the, the structure part of it. You can learn the hab habitual parts of it. And you do that, and that's, you know, 70-80% of it. And for me, that will be a success. It's just, it's taking some time. And especially now, I have to do it with one hand over my eye. <laughs> Between data entry like this, it's hilarious. <laughs> but that's how I deal with things. I just plod through them. Just kind of figure out my way on the way through it. Instead of having a plan, I, you know, I use Napoleon's battle plan. First we show up. Then we see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's a wonder he lost at Waterloo. It's a wonder my life is all screwed up. It's just, it's just, it's just what am I, I wonder if there's any connection there. Jeez. Mm, Maybe. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. All right.
So what are we going to do? Let's get to some questions. Okay. All right. Okay. First, oh my God. Okay, this is horrific. <laughs> I'm shocked. How can I tell a lady friend that I can smell her below the waist private parts when she rides with me in my car and it's pretty horrific? Um, there's no easy way to do it. So if you feel you have to do it, you have to then just do it. You do it as kindly as you possibly can, but there's no kind way to, to do it except that it's being kind. Maybe. Well, you can buy her some Summer's Eve and a washcloth. You well, that's kind of rude. Just assuming she doesn't know how to take care of that herself. It's just, you know, may, you know may, she may have a medical problem, and it may not be a, a thing. So you want to be very careful how you bring it up. But, you know, it's, you know can I ask you a question? <laughs> and just... Ask why that is. Because it may be a medical issue. These kind of things happen. You know, and, and you know, she might be embarrassed about it too. And you're the one of the few people who, you know, she's com comfortable enough with to, to deal with it. But, you know, or it's a depression problem. Maybe she's suffering from a mental health issue. And she could use some help getting through that so you want to approach it in the kindest most non-judgmental way you possibly can and you're the very fact that you're willing to ask this question is showing me that showing me that the person is trying to do it as kindly as possible they didn't go off the end they said you know they want to deal with this kindly that's why they're asking so yeah. I applaud them for it so what you want to do is just approach it. There's, you know, approach it as compassionately and as kindly and, and non-judgmentally as you can, because you know maybe there's a medical reason, medical or emotional reason for it. You know, start with that assumption, work from there, and see if there's something you can actually, you know, and you make that only thing maybe the only thing you can do is to be understanding and you, you know what a great gift that could be you don't know you could be that hand in the dark that she doesn't even know she needs right now she may be suffering from depression having a hard time taking care of herself and she needs someone to express some care for for her don't know Or she could lack, you know, hygiene knowledge. And you can be help her learn a gift and learn to properly take care of herself. Either way, it's what called what's called for is compassion. And you know, and you're you're the way you ask the question, you'll be fine. Okay. Okay. I'm twenty three and moving out. My dad is trying to take my card because it's under his name, but I paid for it and am still paying for it. Can he take it from me since he is technically the owner on paper? Um, yes and no. If you can prove that you've made all these payments, then you can go to court and get a judgment, small claims court, and get a judgment for, at the very least, the money, you can get your money back. Because at some point they broke the, the the agreement, but because you left it in his name and you're an adult trying to save yourself a few bucks on insurance, you left yourself open to this. Now I'm going to put here, here. I don't know what's going on. Something else is going on. We don't have a lot of information about what's going on. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. Dad's being a dick, or maybe you. There's something you know. Sometimes when things don't add up. They don't add up because you're missing some part, some numbers in the equation. So I'm <coughs> going to take this one completely at face value. Excuse me. But from a legal standpoint, and I'm no lawyer, 
So talk to one. You know, go to the legal aid office or something. Call your local. You know, someone will have an answer for you. Um, but it's a small claims offer. I mean, you can take him to court, but because the title's in his name, until you get a court judgment, you're screwed. So this is why you don't put your stuff in other people's name to save yourself a few bucks. I mean, I co-signed for my son's car, but it's in his name. It's technically in both of our names, but that way I can't take it from him. I can't. We could argue over it. We'd have to go to court and fight, but I couldn't do it by myself. Now, I wouldn't do that to him, but that's a whole other issue. You know? But your recourse is, stop making the payments because it's in his name and it's his credit that's going to get screwed, not yours. So if it's not your car, don't make the payment. You're off, you know, you're out of car, but you know you can go buy your own under your own name. Life lesson learned. But my guess is there's something else going on and you're going to want to fix that and that would fix this issue. There's something else in play that we don't know about. Because, you know, when something doesn't make sense, nothing from nothing leaves nothing, and so this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting kicked out of my house at age 14. Where should I go? I can't go to my friend's house. Well, one, there's shelters you can call. You can have to call a shelter, but why the heck are you getting kicked out at 14? No one gets kicked out at 14 for nothing. Well, almost nobody. I mean, you can, if there's something going on at home, you can call the authorities and deal with that. And, you know, of course, you're going to get sent into the foster care system. But if there's some legal issue at home, then you can be dealt with that. But the, why would they kick you out at 14? What, you refuse to go to school? Did they come out? Are they not accepted? What 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 happened? I don't know. Yeah, there's there's something going on, and because they didn't say so. You know, if you got, I came out and I'm getting kicked out of my house at 14. Where do I go? Right. Well, then you tell them you you call the the local lambda. Yeah, you call the local lambda and they point you into. Some, you'll get into sent in the foster system, but there's places to go. But they didn't say that. They just said, I'm getting kicked out at 14. Right. I'm 14 getting kicked out. So, look, I've raised five kids. I was a 14-year-old boy. You know, if if there's missing information, it's missing for a reason. Because <laughs> it makes them look bad. And you regret it. Okay, fine. Now, I can't imagine what my kids could do at 14 that I would kick them out for. Because anything that I, I would kick them out for, they would be getting arrested for. So, <laughs> they would be going to jail for. And I'd be the one to march them down there. So, I can't imagine how it would work. I mean, that's how bad you'd have to get something that I would march them down to the, to the, you know, to the police station for. It's the only way I'm kicking them out of my house at 14 is they're going to the police station because they did something that they have to, that they deserve it, right? That's it. I can't think of anything else. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Now, at Fort, let's assume there's runaway hotlines, call those. Any of the, any place that can get you in contact with the shelter or places to go. There's the social services. Your town has them. And they'd much rather deal with you now than on the streets. That creaking is going to come across. Uh-oh. Um, on occasion, it's fine, but it was constant. Um... But I don't have much good advice other than, you know, if, if you've come out and then you've called your local 
gay community center or your Lambda Center or whatever it is. Um, you can call your local government assistance. They have it. You know, the, the Children's Home, the Foster Care Center, whatever it is in your local area. If you don't know what that is in your local area, call the Runaway Hotline. It, you're essentially a runaway. It's not the same thing, but they can get you into you know, the runaway hotlines don't always send you back home because not all homes are safe. So they have the, they can get you to the resources, pointed you into the direction for the resources to get you a, a safe place to sleep, warm bed, safe place to sleep, because you don't want to be on the streets. Yeah. So there's community organizations you know, you don't want to go to a community, go to a church. Ask them where to go. Salvation Army, ask them what you can do. There's, you know, any of these places will be happy to connect you with resources. Just any of these community organizations that do these kind of things, generically speaking, can point you in the right direction. You don't have to go to the right one first. They will go to anyone that helps people, and they will help you get to the person who can help you. So if it's a church, it's the first one you come across, then you go to a church. If it's the runaway hotline, call the runaway hotline, they'll connect you. If it's whatever your city is, I think it's 311 here, you can call and ask the city what, you know, what services they have, and they'll, they'll take care of it. And there's a, you can you know, call the police non-emergency number and ask them if you're really desperate. Yes. Ask them what to do. They'll tell you. It wouldn't be my first choice, but it's an option. You know, at this stage, you're getting desperate, so... And try calling your grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces, because that's what they're going to try to do anyway. Alright, let's see if we can get something on to... Is, is it unprofessional and rude for an employee to refuse... To discuss work while off the clock. Well, how they refuse, you might be rude, but no, it's not unprofessional. It's unprofessional for you to ask them to. For them to ask you to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why would you assume that they're going to sit there and spend an hour chatting about work after work? You know? We discussed this last week, and I think probably even the week before. A lot of people just want to put their time in and go home. Work is not their life. Work is how they earn some money to have a life. And, you know, that's what some... They talk about the type A personalities, right? This is how you define life success. Some One person is defining life success by how their achievement, their work achievements. Another person is assigning, defining life by their work-life balance. That they balance their work commitments and their life commitments. Or that their life commitments are more important than their work commitments. Work is the way to pay the bills, to have a life. When I'm not working, I'm having a life, and it's not work. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's how they define success. And it's not rude or unprofessional. Are you paying them? If you're not paying them for that time, you're being unprofessional. Someone can volunteer you that time, volunteer for you that information, but you damn well shouldn't be expecting it. Unless you're paying for it. Now, look, I work in an industry that's almost all entirely volunteers. So we require volunteers. You don't expect volunteers to do work. If you do, you're doing it wrong. You can create the conditions where they want to do work where they feel like they're accomplishing something, where they feel like they're giving more to their community than they're actually giving. They're giving more back. You know, their community is having more success, and that benefits them and their community. And so, you know, they feel that their effort has an exponential impact. That's how you get people to volunteer. Otherwise, it's a paid job, and you need to pay them for it. It's that simple. Okay. Here's the next. You want to get the next one? 
What is life like for children who are brought up by parents who believe in raising their kid with absolutely no rules? Well, I, is there a parent that had absolutely no rules? I don't know about that. Yeah, that's the one. I, even parents who are very loose with their rules don't have no rules. You still got to brush your teeth. Yeah, or, you know, it's, there are still rules you can't break. You just don't know what they are. And, you know, free-range parenting is what they call it now. They now call it free-range parenting. But it's just the way people used to parent their children. You know, people could imagine how we were raised today. Even in the same city. Man, seven years old, five, seven years old, we were off walking to school by ourselves and home and to and from school. You know, you're off playing, just come back before dark. No one even knew where you were. You didn't have cell phones. There was no contact. He was off off into the great beyond, off in contact, running throughout the city. <laughs> no one was tracking anybody. As long as you weren't brought home by the cops, all was good, right? That was the kind of the rules of the thumb. Don't cause any problems, then you don't have any problems. And now, all we've got is a bunch of rules, arbitrary rules and regulations and whatnot on our kids, and our kids are snottier and brattier than ever. Now, I sound like an old person because every old person in the beginning of time has said, you get your yeah, whippersnapper. Whippersnapper, get off my lawn. But it's not their fault. No, it's not their fault. I'm not blaming the kids. They're behaving exactly how we'd raise them to behave. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. They're doing that for a reason. So, it's not their, I'm not, it's not the kid's fault, it's ours. We failed them. They didn't fail. They're children. They're not responsible for that. They are. We are. Now, luckily, our kids, you know, of course, the kids, they're all, what, they're starting to approach 30 now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our kids, our youngest are starting to approach 30. Well, your youngest is starting to approach 30. My youngest is mid-20s now. Good God, they're getting old. What the hell? <laughs> hell is time going? But, you know, not all of them are like that. So I don't want to be too broad a brush. But, you know, we talked about not wanting to become, you know, over-victimizing yourself, right? Becoming a victim by habit. You know, it's not a success. You know, having troubles in life and problems in life and not being a victim. You know, everybody has troubles and problems and tribulations through life. Not becoming a victim, I suppose, is the bigger thing. But you have to understand that there's what these people want. But the people who have free-range children, they have a different philosophy on how to raise children. They want stronger, they want... They are trying to raise what they believe to be our stronger children. Children who aren't afraid to explore, who aren't afraid to fail, who aren't afraid to be themselves, who grow and mature more organically than someone who, say, has a helicopter parent to go to the other extreme. Now, truth be told, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of that. You know, as all things in life, you know, you stay away from the extremes and you're probably okay. <laughs> you know, and in parenting, it's the same thing as in life. You stay away from the extremes and you're probably going to be okay. But, you know, we don't know what the extremes are until people try them. So, you know, wait until those kids are 25, 30 years old, and then you go back and you see what kind of human beings they are. And then you judge whether the... the that was a successful parenting method or not. There's no other way to know. That's the scary thing about raising kids. You don't know if it's a success until later on. Much, much later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they don't settle down until their 30s. 
I mean, you you know, you set the foundation that they're they're built on, but you don't know what that final building looks like until they're in their thirties with that final. And even then, it's not finished. You know, yeah, you know, it's anyway. Parenting is hard, and you know, don't be so judgmental on how other people are getting their ways through it. That's my suggestion. Oh wow! This one's my favorite. Okay. Every morning at 4.30 a.m., a suspicious car pulls into one, one neighbor's family's driveway, immediately backs out, and drives back the same way it originally came from. Could this be government surveillance or something else to worry about? <laughs> yeah, someone's picking somebody up from work to go into work or dropping your newspapers off. Or if it's a daily routine... You know, Monday through Friday or seven days a week. If it's seven days a week, it's a newspaper boy. It's a newspaper. And if it's, or some kind of delivery, you know, some kind of newspaper. It might not be a newspaper, maybe some other kind of delivery. But, or someone's picking somebody up and going to work. And you turn, that's, that driveway is where they turn around. Don't be so paranoid. You're being paranoid. Don't make, you know, government surveillance. No, government surveillance is not going to turn around every day. They're going to sit there and park across the street for for an hour, watch you go to work, and then leave. Stop worrying about it. And quite frankly, if the government wants to surveil you, they're not going to do it with a car driving around you. They're, they're just going to hack your computer. So don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. They've got better ways to surveil you than having, than having a drive-by car every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to get this last one here. So my neighbor has been sleeping in a tent in front of his yard. How do I convince him that this is a bad look for the neighborhood? Why is the look of the neighborhood your concern? Your neighbor's been sleeping in a tent in the front of your yard, and your concern is how it looks for the neighborhood, not for your neighbor. Your not question isn't, I wonder why he's sleeping in the tent. I wonder what's wrong with the house. I wonder if he, you know, if the house got infested. If does he need some help paying the paying the bill? Is there mold and he can't sleep inside? What's going on? No, no, no. None of that was the question. It looks bad for the neighborhood. Maybe you need to rethink your priority. And maybe something bad has happened to your neighbor, and maybe rather than worrying about how it looks, because it might theoretically reduce the property value that you're not going to sell your house for, maybe you should go ask your neighbor, hey, is something wrong? Is there anything we can do to help? Maybe. It doesn't seem like such a big thing to me. Is your theoretical resale value so important that you've forgotten your humanity? Have we forgotten what success really is? Have we forgotten that success isn't how much money you have in the bank, what your theoretical wealth is? It's what you do for other people. It's how you treat other people. The most successful people in the world aren't the people who have the most money. Aren't the people who are the wealthier. The people who have the biggest family. And I mean that the most generous word. I'm not talking blood family. I'm talking family. People you can rely on. People who will miss you. People who love you. That's success. That's what we should all really want to have by. Not because it's good for the world. That's a byproduct. Because it's good for you. And you can have all those other things too. You can have financial wealth. You can have monetary success. You can have business success. You can have all that. And be a good human being. They're not mutually exclusive. But you do have to set that as your judgment of success. 
you know, some of us don't include monetary success enough in our value in our equations of success. Others put monetary value too much into the equation of success. The best among us know what that balance is, know how to achieve and know how to honor that balance. And the thing is, they're actually not any better than the rest of us. They just settled on what success was sooner than the rest of us. They just came to that realization sooner. But it's never too late to define success for yourself. But it is too late for me and Lovey to continue the show. So we want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. You can find us at latenightlove.us. You can send us a, a love letter or a question at love at latenightlove.us. You can catch me on Twitter at JazzRack. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast networks and social media outlets just by searching for Late Night Love. For me and Lubby, good night. And please remember to love everybody. Good night.